Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 42 of Sticks in the Six. I'm your host, Andrew Forbes, here with my co-host, Peter Barrichini. And Peter, second round playoff talk. The Leafs are still going. Um, We're headed for game seven. And I think we're going to have a full episode of Leaf talk here. But uh, first off, how's it going out your way, Peter? Still reeling, man. Still reeling from... Game four, then game five, then game six. And like everybody else, I'm kind of on edge. You know, it's game seven. We know what this team has dealt with in the past, and the nerves are setting in. Simple as that. How are you doing, man? Oh, you know, just uh, I think, um, you know, after game six, just kind of sitting here. Uh, our listeners are lucky that I'm not uh, about 20 beers in the bag. Uh, <laughs> Otherwise, it could be uh, could be a shit show of a of a podcast, but um, yeah, I mean it's it, it's been a, it's been a wild week. Uh, lots of lots of hockey, and and we have a great guest. Obviously, we had him on early in our 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 show. Uh, we had Gavin uh, Bryant, an Owen Sound attack pick. Um, he'll he'll be jumping back on with us to talk about the uh, the showcase going on in Erie, Pennsylvania. Uh, so that'll be, uh, that'll be interesting as well, but we'll get that to that in just a little bit. We'll start off with some quick notes. Um, and before, uh, I, after that, we'll, we'll jump right into leave talk. But, uh, before we do some big notes coming our way, just in time for the second round, uh, Max Pacioretty is returning for the Vegas Golden Knights. Um, obviously we're recording Sunday night, so the Golden Knights just got, their ass is handed to them by the <laughs> Colorado Avalanche. It's safe to I say that that's... the Avs are. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just about to say that's an understatement. <laughs> yeah, no, safe to say that the Avs are the team uh, that most should be worried about in this uh, this playoffs for sure. Seven uh, one was the final there. Obviously, like I said, we're we're recording Sunday night, so that game just finished. Um, and another thing we'll we'll talk about, uh, or or if you want, you can head over to the Hockey Writers YouTube channel and check out um, our our, our uh, prospect ranking show. Owen Power was ranked first on NHL Central Scouting. A lot of uh, a lot of questions there, as uh, Matty Beneers seems to be, uh, you know, top on a lot of lists. But Owen Power is first on Central Scouting and the North American Skaters, and uh, your favorite favorite uh, Fabian Lizell is is kind of low on the uh, European Skaters list as well. So some questions surrounding NHL Central Scouting. Um, the the Penguins another first round exit. I think. Uh, I think we we were kind of on the ball about uh, about that one. Um, looking back, I had uh, the Islanders in six. You had Pittsburgh in six. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, just one of those uh, one of those series where Pittsburgh just kind of you know the Islanders clamped down on on Pittsburgh's offense. And uh, safe to say that uh, the Barry Trotz defensive zone coverage is still a championship caliber defense. So. Um, also, Tristan Jarry's glove hand did not look good at all during that series. So that no, was I, a major pitfall for them. 
Yeah, I think that that was a big note for uh, for the Islanders was go glove hand on Jari all the time. And we kind of talked about it in the predictions episode where, you know, we mentioned that maybe the Penguins and their goaltending was going to be a major issue. And it, and it proved to be that uh, even Malkin came back and had five points in four games and still it wasn't enough. So, um, but yeah, I mean, Penguins and exit, the Capitals uh, also made their first round exit. And there's a lot of talk that Evgeny Kuznetsov could be on the move. Um, obviously the Capitals will have to look at, uh, you know, that moving forward. Um, Elliot Friedman did mention on 31 thoughts that there is the potential that the salary cap could be a stale salary cap for the next five years, which is a scary thing to think about when it comes to some of these teams that are at the upper echelon of the cap. Um, obviously Washington is pushing that boundary as well. Um, and, uh, you know, Kuznetsov would be a big guy that they, they could move off their roster, uh, that would move some cap space as well. So that's, uh, that's an interesting one moving forward. Um, obviously Wayne Gretzky, uh, leaving the Edmonton Oilers, lots of Oilers talk here at the, at the tail end, but, uh, Wayne Gretzky leaving the Edmonton Oilers, uh, where he uh, held the post with the club to join TNT and their coverage of the NHL starting next season. That's a huge grab, and we talked about it uh, when TNT got the uh, got the gig. That uh, it would be great to see Gretzky up there. I said we need to see some personality. I think you, you know, you throw one of his ex teammates on there, and this could be a, a, a great segment to get Gretzky kind of opening up about the game. Um, yeah. There is a lot of talk about, like, character, too. Like, maybe he's not as, you know, exuberant as some other analysis out there. But maybe if he grows into it, you know, he could be that, you know, Charles Barkley, Shaq, open up a little bit, you know? Yeah, and I did see one uh, one mention on Twitter, too, about, um, you know, finding maybe one of the top women in the game to kind of go back and forth with Wayne Gretzky and, and how, how great that would be to have two of the top uh players from both sides to uh you know discuss the game the the insight that we would get from those Mm. those two but uh that's that definitely worth thinking about as well um that said the oilers also made a first round exit uh and Connor mcdavid uh did mention in his postseason presser that he is committed to the oilers wants to see the team do it as a group um obviously they've grown together again you had edmonton in six i had winnipeg in seven uh, in that series as well. So, um, yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, Edmonton's got some work to do. And uh, there is talk from Holland that he would like to re-sign Mike Smith. Uh, you know, whether you're, you're a Smith believer or not, um, you know, he had a hell of a season. Uh, just couldn't get it done with Winnipeg uh, knocking them out in the first round. But the one thing I do want to mention, uh, Ethan Bear and... I posted on the uh, the show's uh, Instagram page that, you know, us here at Sticks in the Six do stand with uh, Ethan Bear. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously combating the, the, the racism that he's had to deal with, for, you know, regarding his Indigenous background. Um, just not, you know, there's no place for that kind of shit. And, and we've mentioned huh. it before. It's been a, a conversation before. Um and especially now, if if you're in Canada, you've you've definitely heard about uh, the, uh, the the residential school in um, in Kamloops that uh, you know they found the remains of 215 children yeah. 
some as young as as three years old and and uh, I know my wife had a hard time reading that story especially with us having a little one now and and you know you you really I was, I was doing a little bit of reading about residential schools I don't want to get too much into it but um, you know the last one closed here in Canada in 1996 and that's eight years after I was born. So I was eight when the last residential school uh, closed down. And I'll, t- I'll be honest with you, I had no idea that that kind of stuff was going on, you know, obviously until we learned about it in, you know, history class and, and what have you. But um, the fact that there were basically 215 children that passed away undocumented due to the physical and sexual abuse that uh, happened in residential schools and then this this kind of these kind of racist remarks are being made towards Ethan Bear in the same in the same you know realm realm yeah. in the same couple days um, it just kind of it all comes full circle and it shows you how far we still have to go to get to a spot where you know everyone is 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 you know made equal everyone is treated equally and and respected equally and. Um, as I mentioned, obviously, you know, Ethan Bear, you're a leader, you're, you're, you're a, you're a, uh, stand-up guy and, and somebody that, uh, you know, kids from all, all backgrounds will be looking up to as, as a role model, uh, for what you're going through and the way that you spoke out about it. And, and we appreciate you. And, Absolutely. uh, as I mentioned here at the show, we stand with you, Ethan Bear. Yes. Um, just absolutely disgusting from what was being said and, I mean, if you want to call out the Edmonton Oilers for, like, a disappointing playoffs, fine. But, you know, there's crossing a line, and that absolutely crossed the line. Like, that's just unacceptable. It's absolutely disgusting. And I love the speech, uh, standing up against those comments and not letting it, you know, not letting it, like, you know, get the best of him. I mean, I know it's difficult, and I know it's tough, when you know those kind of remarks are being thrown at you but the fact that he's like taking a stand against it and coming out with that video was just absolutely phenomenal and like you said he's a true role model and he's an icon with doing a lot of like community work and getting a lot of kids involved with the game as well the hashtag was going around we uh i stand with ethan bear or we stand with ethan bear and as you mentioned i mean yeah Ethan, we stand with you 100% of the way. It's We have your back, and we support you no matter what. Yeah, I know, absolutely. And uh, just before we get here to the Maple Leafs talk, I do want to um, get our quick playoff predictions for the second round here. Obviously, we can't do it for the North Division <laughs> as our Toronto Maple Leafs head to Game 7 tomorrow against the Montreal Canadiens. That said, with the other three underway, I think we need to get into it. Uh, just make as as we did before. We'll go over it quickly and uh, just kind of get into it um, and and make our picks. But uh, I do want to start with the the Colorado Avalanche versus the Vegas Golden Knights. And obviously, we saw tonight's game. Colorado just demolished them with a seven one victory. Physically, um, Colorado was dominant. Um, you know, I I think Robin Lehner just did not Colorado had his number tonight. I, I mentioned it to you in the, uh, in the opening here that I, I think we'll see Mark Andre flurry back in the net for Vegas mm-hmm. uh, when game two rolls around. But with that said, 
what what do you see coming out of this this series here? I mean, a lot of questions were being surrounded with Mark Andre Fleury not playing in this game, and I kind of get it. He came off like you know a very long and difficult series with the Minnesota Wild. If you they wanted to rest him. Totally get it, totally understand, but at the same time, you know, it's the playoffs, right? Got to go with your best foot forward, and Robin Lehner hasn't seen, didn't even see a game, I don't think, in that series. So to go with him over Flurry was kind of a risky move, but honestly, even if Flurry was in there, the speed and talent on the Avs right now, I have, I'm picking Avs in seven, but if they play exactly like that, and make life difficult for Flurry and Nathan McKinnon and Kale McCarr on top of their game, just flying through the zone. I, it wouldn't surprise me if it goes less than that. Maybe call. I'm not going to say maybe another sweep because I was lucky to call the sweep against the Blues, but maybe Colorado in five. I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with seven because that's originally what I had. But it wouldn't surprise me if it goes less than that. Yeah, I think I'm going to go the same route with you. I, I just think Colorado, I mean, we saw it last year where I, I don't think they lived up to expectations when it came to the, the playoff bubble. And it was obviously a tough year with how everything went. But mm-hmm. um, I just see Colorado just seems to be so much more dominant in, in all aspects of the game. Um, I, on paper, they should be really tight uh, in terms of, of you know, compare, p- comparing the two teams. And and this was the series that everyone was talking about, how how the top two teams potentially are going head-to-head in the second round. But after tonight, watching tonight's game, I, I do I do think Colorado takes it in six. Um, I'll, I'll give Vegas a couple wins uh, just because I think Flurry coming back in, that'll be a little bit of a boost. But I, I do want to say Colorado in six. I think Colorado's just built to to go the distance this year. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if, if you look back on this series as one that uh, really builds a lot more character with, with the Avs as they move forward and, and potentially you know head straight to the Stanley Cup final. So I, I'm going to go Colorado in six. Um, I think just up front, I think Landeskog's one of the most underrated players in the league right now. I think uh, McKinnon, Rantanen, uh, you talk about that back end with Gerard and, and Makar um, and Devin Taves. Uh, it's just such a strong back end. Uh, they just have all aspects of the game, and Grubauer's top-notch in terms of, of goaltending. So Colorado in six, and I wouldn't be surprised if they go on to win the Cup. Oh, definitely. I mean, if they're not your pick to win the Cup right now, I don't. I, I, I think they could beat any team right now. They're, they're the favorite, and it's interesting enough. Their shot attempts... We're very even between the two teams, but Colorado having better scoring chances for and shots for percentage in that game. So obviously they made the most of their chances and their opportunities because they made the Vegas Golden Knights pay big time. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, Jumping over to the Islanders who suffocated the Pittsburgh Penguins offense in the first round and their second round opponent, the Boston Bruins, as of our recording right now, Boston leads the series one nothing, but that series could be interesting, and I think it's going to depend entirely on how, you know, how how New York can respond. And, and it was it was a tight game for most of the game up until the very end. There, um, obviously a five two final, but um, I, I think I think this game is going to be tighter than we than we saw in game one. 
Um, I do think Boston still takes it. Um, I, I, I'm going to go Boston in six. I just feel like, uh, you know, the Islanders will get a couple. Um, just, again, that Barry Trotz defense, it, it really does suffocate uh, an offensive team. And, and Boston being that offensive team, um, they will get it done. They will find ways to get it done. I mean, we're talking about one of the more experienced teams in the playoffs right now with Bergeron, Marshawn. Um, obviously Pasternak and Tuka Rask there as well. It is a different defense in Boston. We've talked about that before, but I, I still think that the dominance and the experience up front is what's going to carry this Boston team into the next round. Yeah, you talked about the defense, and it's still something that, you know, despite the absence of Chara, they still hold their own and they still know how to shut it down. So we're talking about the great defense from the Islanders transitioning to offense. Boston does it just as perfectly. And I think they outmatch them in that category. And they got, I mean, the Islanders have like offensive weapons. They got Beauvillier, they got Nelson, they got obviously Matt Barzell, added Kyle Palmieri in there. But I, I think their depth match it or Boston's depth is slightly better than the Islanders at this point. And we saw that in the Washington series, um, especially with, if Taylor Hall starts to get going again, or like he did in the series, if he starts uh, finding the back of the net, then they got their depth. I know Craig Smith is, you know, looked pretty good in that Washington series. Um, yeah, it, 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 it it may come down. It may be closer than expected, but if Boston comes out guns blazing, um, and just takes it to them, I say Boston in six as well. I mean, that top line is like really hard to contain, and they got their their work cut out. And I'm just curious to see how this is going to unfold because obviously, do not count the Islanders out. We saw that many times before. They can actually surprise a lot of teams, including the Bruins, right now. Yeah, no, 100%. And, and again, it's going to come down to how much they can suffocate that offense. But I, I, I just think Boston's got so much experience. Um, I think guys like Bergeron, I mean, the way that he stands up for his teammates, obviously there's a reason why he took over the C when when uh, Big Z left. But, uh, yeah, I think experience over overall will succeed. And, and I think that's why we're going to be talking about Boston in the next round as well. Um, jumping over to the Carolina Tampa Bay series again. Tampa up one nothing as we record here on Sunday night. Um, again, I I do think Tampa. I you know obviously they they won the cup last last year and and have that experience know what it takes to to make it. They also have incredible depth. Um, mm-hmm. That said, Carolina quietly took the number one spot in the division this year, um, and, and did so you know without making huge headlines. Uh, Nedeljkovic is playing out of his mind in net right now. Um, maybe not garnering the same same support up front, but that said, you know, Aho, Nikash, uh, Svechnikov, these guys can go off at any point. And, you know, you get Jordan Stahl in the mix, you get Dougie Hamilton into the mix. Um, all of a sudden, you've got a team that can put up some some big numbers as well. And if Nedeljkovic can continue to play the way that he's played so far in these playoffs, um, you're talking about a, a pretty tight series. But uh, with that said, Peter, what are you taking away from this series? 
Uh, like you said, uh, the depth from Tampa Bay is just phenomenal, but we can't discredit the depth that, you know, the Carolina Hurricanes have. I mean, they're solid four lines deep in three pairings. Um, I mean, they're top of the top of the division, you know, not because of anything. They're there for a reason. And I think it's going to come down to goaltending because there was a slight it was a close game in game one. And I think it's going to come down to the goaltending, no matter what the experience from Vasilevsky compared to, um, Nadelkovic right now, he did let in, you know, kind of a soft goal. His positioning was off where his legs kind of opened up and it went through and, you know, it ultimately led to the game winning goal where, uh, the lightning won two one. So I think the stability in the crease is going to come down to it. And, I think Vasilevsky has the edge or Tampa Bay has the edge in that department. Um, but yeah, uh, I'm going to say Tampa Bay in six, mainly because, you know, it, it, not to say that Carolina can't win. They can. They've proven time and time again that they can be an underdog and can throw teams off. But this team right now, this Tampa Bay team, this is they, they're in it to repeat and they're on a mission right now. Um had some trouble with Florida in a few games, but it didn't bother them. I think that they're still going to roll with it and take it in six. You got Tampa Bay in six. I'm going to, I'm going to jump in there with you and I'm going to go Tampa Bay in six. I think Carolina is going to take a couple, obviously, as we mentioned, they, they, they're first in the division for a reason. Um, that said, I think again, experience above all else and Vasilevsky over Nadelkovich. Um, Stamkos, you know, uh, point chair point. Yeah. You know, the list goes on with those guys and they know what it takes to get it done. Uh, as you mentioned, it was a bit of a weak goal for the winner, um, for, uh, Barclay Goudreau that said, uh, you know, it, it, it will come down to, to experience. And I think Tampa Bay in, in six as well. Um, just quickly before we jump into our Maple Leafs talk here, we'll quickly run over our first round uh, predictions as uh, as they were. Um, obviously, Boston, Washington. Um, you had Washington in seven. I had Boston in six. Uh, Pittsburgh, New York. You had Pittsburgh in six. I had New York Islanders in six. Oh, I got one right. There you go. <laughs> I'm um, only two right now. Carolina, Nashville. You had Carolina in five, as did I. So we both got the team right there. Uh, Florida, Tampa Bay. You had Tampa in seven. I had Tampa in six. Um, Colorado, St. Louis. You were all over the sweep on this one. <laughs> I gave St. Louis a little bit of love and thought they'd get at least one win, but I did have Colorado in five. Vegas, Minnesota. Nobody had uh, Vegas in seven, but uh, you did have Vegas in five. I had Vegas in six. Uh, Edmonton, Winnipeg. Again, nobody had the sweep here. You had Edmonton in six. I had Winnipeg in seven. Tampa, or sorry, Toronto, Montreal. Obviously, we're still going to be talking about this. We both took Toronto in six. We got game seven coming up tomorrow, which we'll get to in just a moment. Um, but aside from that, uh, not bad, not bad first round picks for, for the two of us, uh, here on our rookie season of the podcast, <laughs> better uh, 
better <laughs> win loss ratio for me than compared to last year because last year, oh man, it was bad. It was rough, eh? Yeah, but uh, we'll we'll see how our second round goes. Um, before again, we're going to jump right into Maple Leaf talk here. We do have Gavin Bryant coming up uh, to talk about the showcase in Erie. Um, but before that, as we mentioned on the last few episodes, episode 42, six players have worn the number 42 in the history of the Toronto Maple Leafs dating back to 1997. The first one, can you name any of the six? Okay. I definitely know. I could probably name two or three. One I know for sure recently, both were Trevor Moore and Tyler Bozak. And the other one was Kyle Wellwood. I don't know if there's anyone else after that, but I remember distinctly Kyle Wellwood, especially on that top line with Sundin. So Trevor Moore, 2019 to 2020. Tyler Bozak, 2010 to 2018. Tim Stapleton, 2009. Kyle Wellwood from 04 to 08. The Buffalo Sabres GM Kevin Adams from 1998 to 2000. And before that, David Cooper, 1997, was the first player to wear the number 42. Wow. Man, seeing Kevin Adams' name right there, man, just shows how old we are. Oh, absolutely. I remember <laughs> I remember getting the being part of the Buds Club and getting the book. And, and you know, Kevin Adams was the first one on the page because oh, last man. name started with the A. But, yeah, it's uh, it's been a ride. Been a ride with these uh, these Toronto Maple Leafs, and and it continues to be as we enter Game Seven Monday night. Um, Are you ready? I'm never ready. I, I I've already <laughs> mentioned. I think I, I think everyone's seen my tweet. I think it's probably the the best tweet I've had in a long time. Where I, I said, you know, you've heard it here first. The Leafs are going to lose Game Seven. That's that's my that's my level of optimism right now. Um, for what what should be expected in Game Seven here for the Maple Leafs, I just eh, the last last number of games, um, Game Sevens, I should say, zero and seven, um, dating back to I believe nineteen ninety three. I could be wrong, but I believe it dates back to nineteen ninety three. Anyways, regardless, we will start talking about. Let's we'll start with Game Three, Game Four. Um, and, and kind of jump into game five and six here. But obviously the, the two games in Montreal, the Leafs outscored Montreal in a big in a big way, went up 3-1 in the series. Um, a lot of positives to take away from those, and, and a lot of it was depth scoring. Um, goals from, you know, guys that you wouldn't normally talk about. Obviously, Nylander was uh, playing at the top of his game, playing physical which we're not used to being a leader on the bench, being vocal, Alex Kerfoot being a, an, an absolute thorn in the side of the Montreal Canadians. Um, he was getting on the score sheet. Um, and then things kind of dropped off in game five and six. What, what did you see from games four, three and four to five and six that, that really stood out to you? I'm just going to go back to last week where I said it was going to be crucial if they got both games back to back. And I said that maybe one is definitely going to be possible because winning back to back games in the playoffs is very, very difficult. Um, The fact that they were able to put together two textbook wins 
in that back-to-back situation to get the lead and end up winning with a shutout in game four, that was the best possible outcome to put the Leafs in the best possible position to win. And I was absolutely ecstatic in that case because, you know, and the, the, the storybook so far for this series is Montreal comes out with a really good period first period Toronto seems to get their feet going halfway through and then they amount the pressure in the second and tries to just hold it off in the third and I worked for both games and it honestly I thought that going home to game five it was they were going to end it um you know they had the uh slight advantage and shot attempts uh, shots for scoring chances were kind of even in game three, the two, one game, but the fact that they were able to come out with an even better effort in that second period, um, shows that, you know, l- like you mentioned, they got the depth scoring that they needed. Galchenyuk had three points in game four. Spezza got on the board, William Nylander again. So it's, it, everything was coming together. So, I don't understand what went wrong because of the fact that you had them right where you wanted them. And to have, I wouldn't say game five was a poor effort because they did manage to get their feet back and crawl the way, their way back after it was three, nothing midway through the second. And that the momentum changed in Toronto's favor greatly, but man, did they ever let this opportunity get away from them? Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, I mean, it comes down to, to two blatant turnovers in OT and uh, games five and six. And, um, you know, for anybody who watches Steve Dangle on his live, uh, live oh. feeds throughout the games, I mean, that was pure heartbreak. Um, Never mind and, the live feeds, but his leafer, his latest leafer, he went yeah. off. Yeah, and, and and I think, I mean, I last night, uh, I'll tell you right now. Last night after following the game, I was on Twitter. I was I was going on on an absolute rampage, and and I did have to log off for a while because you know, a couple beers in, and and I think I mentioned this last episode, and <laughs> I just needed to take a step back because it was just, you know, my my wife even woke me up this morning, and and. Um, she she said to our son, you know, we got to make dad a little bit more happy because uh, his leaps lost last night. Oh man, it's uh, you know, I I I've my kids already got two leaf jerseys, and I'm not sure whether I should continue to support the trend in, in making him a leaf <laughs> fan or or let him choose his own path. But uh, I mean, it's it's one of those things that you you love to be let down, and every year, every year we get excited. And every year, the Leafs find a way to let us down. And, it's the same and old story. It's the same old story. And you're seeing, you know, Leafs. Leafs Twitter is is awful. Leafs. Leafs Nation is awful. And there's a lot of hate out there right now for Matthews and Marner not producing offensively. And I get it. I I, I think they've had a a bad series in terms of their offensive output. That said, I think Matthews has gotten in the head of of. Uh, of uh, the Montreal Canadiens. I do think that he's playing a physical game, which is nice to see. 
whereas Marner, I do, you know, he's come up with a few big defensive plays in terms of, you know, blocking shots and such as well. So I'm not set on saying that they've been absolutely ridiculously terrible, but they have been unquestionably um, disappointing offensively. And that has hurt the Leafs in the long run. This this is a team that's had an opportunity to put the Montreal Canadiens away twice already and just cannot get it done. And and it, it's come down to simple plays, simple basic plays that has, has cost the Leafs the, the, the two victories. Um, one being Galchenyuk sending the puck across as he was the lone man back, sending it across the blue line, trying to keep it in the zone when he should have just got it deep. Obviously picked off by you know the future of Montreal in in Cole Caulfield and uh, Nick Suzuki went on in on a two on zero and Jack Campbell and classic Jack Campbell says you know I should have had that but I mean there's absolutely no way on a two and zero that he should have had it yeah um, no. and then and then we see it again this this uh, in Game Six first off did anybody see Galchenyuk send it across the blue line again in the offensive zone? My mind was absolutely blown. I, 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 I couldn't believe it. I, I could not believe that he did the exact same play that cost him the game in game five. And he had the nerve to go out there in overtime and do it again. And I think I tweeted afterwards, are you, fu- like, are you fucking kidding me? That was Galchenyuk again? It, it, it was just, it was like deja vu. And then you saw it. And I mentioned, I mentioned Steve Dangle because... I think I had the exact same reaction. As soon as Dermot turned back in his own zone, lone man back as a defenseman at like six years old, you're taught as a defenseman. If you're the lone man back, you get it out. Yeah. You move the puck. You don't try and skate it out. And what did Dermot do? He tried to curl back and skate it out. Loses the puck to Kotkaniemi. All of a sudden you're talking about, we're going to game seven. And I mean, it's like I said, you love to be let down. As a Leaf fan, you have learned this is just a way of life. Um, and uh, like I said, obviously we're uh, we're recording Sunday night, Game Seven set for tomorrow night. And I think there's a part of me that is thankful that I'll be back at work and uh, you know have to <laughs> come back and watch the recording after. I might have to check the score before I watch it, so I'm not overly let down. But. Um, yeah, I just I think momentum's on Montreal's side, and uh, I, I'm not looking forward to to what we're gonna see here. Yeah, um, to start off with your point about Matthews and Marner, I mean, yeah, they're they're getting unnecessary heat, especially people commenting at them. Listen, has Matthews been Matthews hasn't been bad. He's just having bad luck. Marner, on the other hand, his decision making, his speed, his ability to, you know, process everything just isn't there. And yes, is it disappointing for Marner? Absolutely. He's making 10 million to be a star player and he's not showing up. I get there's criticism there's wanting to say hey he's got to be better and then there's one thing where you go out and you basically attack him that that doesn't work out it's not going to work out it doesn't it's absolutely gutless that's that's not the answer to do things the best thing for them to do and the main reason is i'm looking at john matiz's um storylines for game seven is for Matthews and Marner to come out and mean business. 
I mean, th- there's no other way to put it. They need to be the best players out there when at the most critical time. And going to, I, I'm just going in order of like the way that you talked for games five and six now. I mean, I don't, they worked so hard to come back down three nothing. And when Muzzin scored that tying goal, I thought, this is it. This is the moment. You have the momentum going into overtime. This should steal the, this should seal the deal. This is the nail in the coffin for the series. You clawed your way back, and I think Steve Dangle said it best um, during his, his latest leafer. Um, nine out of ten times, I, this is me just quoting verbatim, not fully word for word, but nine, ta- nine times out of ten, the team that comes back wins those games. Um, I agree. You have the momentum going on your side into overtime. And he also said that, you know, with everything going on, he said, um, everyone's saying, oh, trust the process, trust the process. And he also said this. He is saying that he doesn't really care about that. Like, that means nothing because what is the point of the process if there is no win? Usually if there's a process, there's a steady, gradual increase in terms of getting to that end goal. We're not seeing that. And I think the fact that everyone is so pent up about 2013, Boston Game 7 in 2017, or 2018, Boston in 2019, um, last year in Columbus, Game 5, not last year in Columbus, but against Columbus in Game 5, they have a problem in these big moment games, and that is an issue. They And again, they crawled their way back in game six like they did in game five. And again, it's another poor turnover. Travis Dermott had, tra- had uh, Jason Spezza literally right beside him. And he has to do a spinorama. I'm a coach, and I absolutely hate it when they're when – my players are doing fancy stuff in tight areas that can lead to a turnover. Why? Because it's going to end up and bite you. And for Travis Dermott, it did. For Galchenyuk making that blind pass right at the blue line, it did. And that stuff's got to stop. I mean, if I'm Sheldon Keefe right now, I'm telling them you got to keep things simple. None of this fancy plays, none of these like, oh, I'm going to try and like squeak my way out of it. No. Get it out off the boards, find support, and just play it simple. There is no other way around it. And today, uh, the players were speaking, and Terry Koshin tweeted out um, about Matthews and Marner. Uh, if the best players need to be the best players, he said, Yes, of course. In a game of this magnitude, those guys need to be difference makers for us. They know the responsibility they have they have to the team. That said, it doesn't let anybody else off the hook, myself included, in terms of the role we have to play as a group to be able to win. I mean, I, I, I guess maybe he's trying to deflect some of the blame onto him, but this isn't on him. I mean, if you want to argue about the coach's challenge in Game 6, but it doesn't excuse the fact that Marner shot a puck over like the boards when he had time to skate it up. That isn't on Keith. This is all on the players, and it's up to them to come out and play like they mean it. Because if they don't, I don't know what's going to happen. I I do think that maybe you possibly move somebody. 
I don't know who, but someone's getting moved, and it definitely ain't going to be Matthews. Yeah, I mean, I think you look at this as, you know, there's a lot of talk of Dubas, and and Dubas gave this team everything that they needed to 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 be a team that mm-hmm. that should be contending this year. So, I think that takes the onus off of him. Um, Nylander has done everything in his power to be a, a star player in in these playoffs. That takes the onus off of him. Um, you know, I, I think there's so many there's so many things that so many storylines on on this team right now. And um, for me, I think the onus is on the star players. And and, and Game Seven is a great opportunity to to really see this leadership that they put together. You've got Felino, you have Spezza, you have Thornton. These are guys that are going to be key to getting, you know, your star players to forget about, you know, the first six games and focus on what's what's at at uh, at stake at in game 7. Um you know, worth noting, Austin Matthews had 15 shot attempts in game 6. His uh, his shooting percentage right now in the series is 3.1%, one goal on 32 shots. Just well below. I mean, eventually something's got to start going in for him. Um, you know, I, I think the crazy part about all of this is that Matthews and Marner are, aren't really having the luck they're having. Um, you know, to combine combine 59 shots in the series, 1.7 shooting percentage. Um, during the regular season, they had 61 goals on a combined 378 shots. So that's 16.1% shooting. Uh, shout out to Scott Wheeler for that stat. But, I mean, it just it, it, it's a reminder that this team is still young. Um, that said, the money that you're putting into it, eventually you want you want some some, you know, you you want some payback for it, right? And, and and unfortunately, right now you're not getting that. And I think that's that's the part that's so frustrating. And and to go back to your point about Mitch Marner, Mitch Marner's penalty for puck over the glass. So he has 12 career penalty minutes in the playoffs. Oh, six I know where min- this is going. Six minor penalties. Mm-hmm. Here's a list of his minor penalties. Yeah. 2018 game two puck over the glass. 2018 game six puck over the glass 2019 game five puck over the glass 2020 game four tripping 2021 game one puck over the glass 2021 game six puck over the glass five of his six penalties are for delay of game and that alludes to his the puck management his decision making but this, I mean, this is a guy who is known for his his puck control, his mm-hmm. his ability to, to to maintain puck control. And you know, I mentioned to to you earlier today that I think the problem right now with Marner is he's trying to, you know, we see we see Nylander playing that physical game, we see Matthews playing a physical game. We don't need to see Marner play a physical game, and I think he's trying to fit into that mold of of transitioning his game to to be somewhat physical and suddenly he's gotten away from from what he does best in finding those open areas finding the, the guys that you know are sliding in on the backside for the open net uh, open net tip in 
um, you know, getting those opportunities. He's not taking as many shots. And and what did he say before the season? I have to take more shots. And how many times has he made that extra pass that has cost them a a potential goal? Um, You know, the one thing that that that's driving me nuts is all these all the guys, you know, they're saying, you know, game seven is an opportunity to close it out. Yeah, game five was an opportunity to close it out. Game, game six, six was an opportunity to close it out. Um, you know, Mitch Marner came out and said, you know, we got to get going from the get-go, from right from puck drop. Yeah, you should have been doing that from day one of the season. You should not be focusing on that now. You should be, be I mean, you're professionals. You should be able to play the 60 minutes. And, and don't get me wrong, like, we are a players podcast. We want the players to do well. We want to, we want to promote, you know, the, the, the mentality and, and, and the, the perseverance of these players. But man, as a Leaf fan, it is tough to do sometimes when you see these, these blatant mistakes. Yeah. You just mentioned Mitch's, Mitch's comment and I saw that earlier today and it's like, you know, I, granted, this is still you mentioned it. This is still a young team, but they are now five years into their career. You would think that right now, everything would have clued in and say, you know what, enough of these cliches. And I think Nick Foligno said it best. He mentioned this in um, an article by Josh Clipperton from the Canadian Press. He said it's time for the words to stop, the cliches to stop. Um, it's time to put it all on the line. I have no doubt going to battle with these guys that will do that. And great. He said it. And even uh, Zach Hyman said, you know, this is a great opportunity. Great. But now it's time to mean it. Stop talking and start taking action. You're not going to go anywhere just by talking and saying the same thing. you got to go out and show it. And... And I get where Mitch Marner is coming from. Like, yeah, you know, uh, we weren't ready. You should be ready. Like, this is the Stanley Cup. This is the season that this is the best opportunity for you to try and win it. And you're coming out with that kind of effort, especially at the start of game six, where Campbell had to face 10 shots in the first five minutes. Five minutes. Of that game, where they were hemmed in their own zone and they didn't get a shot until after that point. Not 10 shots in 10 minutes, not 10 shots in the first period, 10 shots in the first five minutes. Right away, that's a recipe for a disaster. Even if they came back to win and they scored in overtime, they did not deserve to win that game. They got lucky. And, you know, there's the whole, like, money puck deserves to win a meter where, you know, Toronto's usually on, you know... The other side where, you know, they win, they're supposed to win, but then they lose. Maybe the flip effect could have happened this time. Um, It's just got to stop. Like, they got to stop talking and they got to start producing. And I hope that, you know, from the start of this game, the mentality is there. Because this we've seen this team play. They have the ability to be a major offensive threat. But granted, they, they had to do it in game five. They had a chance to do it in game six. They need to put their money where their mouth is. Because, as you mentioned before, Dubis, this is why he made the moves that he made in the offseason at the deadline. 
He brought in Thornton. He brought in Simmons. He brought in Bogosia, and he acquired Felino. The leaders need to step up to motivate the group, and the offensive players have got to take charge and get the points. They Everybody needs to do their job and lead by example. Stars have to be the stars. Role players have to be the role players. They need a collective effort. Every single time they say we weren't ready or we got to be better, it's really tiring because of the fact that that's the go-to answer. And Nick Felino says the cliches have got to stop. They got to take ownership and they got to come out and play with a purpose. If they win, they're still not going to be off the hook because they nearly lost it after all that they've done and worked for. Yeah, look, I I don't have an issue with, you know, game five, you lose in overtime. Your, your response is, you know, we, we didn't come ready. Mm-hmm. You know, you went down three nothing. We didn't come ready. Fair enough. To do it two games in a row, now now it's just an excuse. Yeah. It's not it, it's not a reason. It's not, you know, I I kind of brush that one off and say, you know what, it is what it is. You guys lost. You you didn't come ready. Fine. Well, you know, this is the second time in a week that you're using that excuse. I I'm not okay with it. No, not um, at all. I I don't know. For me, for me, I just it's it's Leafs doing Leafs things and and uh that's why I kind of you know I'm going in with a lot of pessimism surrounding game seven I'm not expecting much and I think that's just from years of being let down and like I said in, in the opening here you know we love to be let down and that's that's simply the case here is that uh you know the Leafs do all these moves Dubas does all this work to put to put together a lineup that you know Leafs nation wanted this rough, tough, you know, veteran leadership in your bottom six with your star players and your in your uh, you know your top six and and still the team finds a way to kind of let everybody down and and I go back to Marner for a second and and I think to the to his days back in in uh, London and to think that he would play like this for Dale Hunter, not a chance, no, not a chance. He would be stapled to the bench. And there's a part of me that wonders if maybe, you know, we see a Marner demotion. Um, you know, you, you you take him off that first line and you put Matthews with a couple guys that have, have shown, um, you know, their their effort and caliber over, over this the first six games. And and you kind of send a message in game seven. And, and maybe that's what it is. Um, you know, I, I, don't, I don't think it's the perfect time to do it. But. You know, is there really a perfect time to sit one of your, you know, a $10 million guy? Um, I, I don't know. I don't know what the solution is. That's why I'm podcasting and not standing behind a, an NHL bench. <laughs> I will say this. A lot of, a lot of, uh, uh, I, I, a lot of fans were projecting rosters and they have Nylander moving up with uh, Matthews. Why not give it a go? Nylander has been your best player all year, you know? Uh, Sheldon Keith said that maybe uh, Nick Foligno could be demoted down to the third line because of the fact that Kerfoot has excelled in that second line center role. Um, he has, again, options. What's going to happen? I don't know. Joel Thornton, I know he really needs to step it up because he's been invisible. And I really think that he would be a physical force with his size. I'm seeing him back away quite a bit. And... Matthew said, um, we're going to move on. We got another game here. We're going back home and we've got to be ready again. Same cliches. Yeah, you better be ready. 
and I'm just I'm and here's and uh, same thing with Marner when you were talking about his time in London when I saw him play this guy skated like the wind his speed was everything the past few years in the playoffs his speed has been virtually non-existent this is the guy that thrives on carrying the puck like drawing players in using his speed and his edge works to his advantage and we're not seeing that it seems like every single time he gets the puck to me he seems afraid that if someone's coming up like you know pressuring him when he has the puck he panics every single time that he's trying to get control of the puck he panics he's I don't I don't know why I don't know if it's because that Montreal is very physical then again the Blue Jackets were physical last year and again kind of saw the same thing Marner really wasn't up to his potential but it's it's a problem because you want him to excel. You always want your best players to excel. But the fact that Mitch Marner isn't using his strengths to his advantage, that's concerning. But here's what I think needs to happen. Obviously, Matthews and Marner, they need to be a part of the offense. I would think that maybe if if they need a win... This, I, I'm just throwing a number out there. 85 to 90% of the points have to come from them. The depth has done their part. They got to step it up and show that they're, you know, they're the big guys. You know, we saw Nathan McKinnon, Kale McCarr, Miko Rantanen, and Gabriel Landeskog, the Colorado Avalanche's top players, be their top players. It's time for them to be the top players for the Maple Leafs in a dire situation. They've been subpar. They worked hard at games three and four. Again, five and six really struggled. Um, Simmons, I want to see him throw the body around. And if he needs to fight somebody and drop the gloves, do it. If it's Ben Sherratt, if it's Josh Anderson, he needs to send a message and bring the physical play. He was brought in to do that. And I haven't seen that since maybe game four of him being a physical threat. Same with Thornton, same with Bogosian, and same with Felino. That intensity has to be there from the puck drop, and they got to start throwing the bodies just like Montreal has. And my main thing is also this, my last point, just read and control the plays better. Get the legs going like they did when, you know, after the John Tavares' injury. You saw that, you know, will to win in Game 2. You saw them match that in games three and four where Montreal started to come out flying and they matched that intensity. What they did then, they showed that they were the best in the league for a reason in the regular season and in those games. You've shown that you could play without your captain. You've got to get back to that point. Yeah, look, uh, I like I said, I think Marner is just trying to do too much. Um mm-hmm. He's got to get back to just simplifying the game the way that he knows how and and not trying to add those extra aspects to his game. Um, in terms of in terms of uh, you know the toughness, I think I think you're spot on. I think we need to see the guys step up and, and and at the end of the day, this is game seven. There needs to be intensity on all aspects of the game, physicality. Uh, if you need to throw down, you throw down. Um, you know, your top players need to be your top players. And, and I'm going to throw a couple stats out at you real quick here. Lance Hornby from the, the Toronto Sun tweeted out, since many seem fixated this morning on linking this year's procrastinating Leafs 
to playoff failures the past 50 years, just pointing out they're 7-1 in Game 7s at home. Now, before I, I break that down for a second here, I have one <laughs> more stat for you. Um, Rob Del Mundo, um, last seven games in which Leafs uh, in which Leafs tried to clinch the series, uh, 0-7 with 16 goals for and 31 against, uh, including three overtime games, and three of which were Game 7s. So, interesting, interesting numbers. Um, the one thing I do want to say about Lance Hornby's tweet is that 7-1 and one in the past eight Game 7s at home. Remember, that was with fans in the building. And mm-hmm. as our wonderful Ontario government has just notified oh, everyone God. of, um, there will not be any fans at the game for the Toronto Maple Leafs and Montreal Canadiens in Game 7 tomorrow night, Monday night. Even if they are fully vaccinated, members of the um, you know healthcare staff that are fully vaccinated, they're not even allowed to be in the game. What a great way to say thank you for all that you've done over the past year and a half. As I did a few episodes ago, and I know Peter loves this. Thank you, Doug Ford. (laughs) Um, Just a classic move by our our Ontario government. Uh, If it wasn't enough, the Leafs are are leafing it. Um, Doug Ford is definitely Doug Fording it right now. And uh, as always... (laughs) This segment was brought to you by. No, I'm just joking. Um, <laughs> no, it's just a you know. It, it's it, a clown it move. Been, it it is. It would have been a nice way to repay you know some people that have been, you know, at the forefront of this of this pandemic for for the last year and a half, and, and instead you know we're uh, we're kind of you know just it's it's a real shot in the in the nuts for for anybody who's been vaccinated and saying you know what what are we really doing it for then. Um, and for those who are already on the fence about vaccination, I mean, now you're just raising more questions for them. So, um, yeah, that, I, I digress a little bit, but there will be no fans, you know, the last eight games, game sevens at home there, there have been fans. So that is a big factor as well, but you just hope to hell that these Leafs bring it in game seven all aspects of the game there's an intensity that we haven't seen all series long um the one thing i do want to talk about before we 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 finish off here with with leafs talk is alex galchenya now um forget the pass across the blue line in consecutive games but i want to talk about the hit he took from jeff petrie um game six that seems to have gone unnoticed by the Department of Peros Stupidity um, that exists uh, at the NHL head office. Um, I mean, you want to talk about the Kadri hit on Justin Falk in in uh, the first round, where you know Kadri obviously was suspended for eight games under the Department of Player Safety's. Or, or rather the CBA's ruling of a uh, repeat offender. Kadri is not technically a repeat offender. That said, he did take eight playoff games for that hit. Now, this hit on um, Alex Galchenyuk was extremely similar to that, yeah. eerily similar. 
Blindside. Blindside, um, you know, east to west, the way that he hit him. Uh, very, very much so. The head was the principal point of contact, and yet no call on the ice, no supplemental discipline, no mention of it today on Twitter at all, aside from Leafs fans obviously getting their two cents in there. And we know that we're just going to be looked at as the, you know, the the black marketers of the of, league. Yeah, the fans that uh, have nothing better to do than to complain about you know, this kind of stuff on, on social media. That said, go back, look at the video. The hit is eerily similar to the one that Kadri laid on Falk. And I'm not asking for eight games for Jeff Petrie. Look, Petrie's a guy who is who has been a stand-up player his entire career. That said, this is worth a second look. Mm-hmm. This is he- worth... A, you want to get rid of headshots in the in the league? This is worth a one game suspension, a two game suspension. Yeah, um, I honestly, the fact that the refs put the whistles away in in overtime, we, we know that's going to happen unless they're going to call something egregious, which they should have done that because that is an egregious hit. You know, you saw Galchenyuk struggle to get up, and you did nothing. That is bullshit. Like that is the that is the definition of the joke that is the NHL officiating. This is this is nothing to do with game management. That is a hit to the head. Call the way it's supposed to be called. That is all we want. Nothing like there were like I if it was like a borderline trip. Whatever, fine. They're letting those, like, you know, minor stick infractions get away countless times, especially in overtime. We saw, even last year, Nick Foligno made a hit. I, don't, I can't remember on who. He made a hit. It led to a power play for the Toronto Maple Leafs, and they scored. Obviously, Nick Foligno wasn't happy about it, but it was the right call. It was a bad hit. I don't think there was an injury, but it deserved the penalty. Stuff like that, if it's serious, call it. I, I don't know what the reluctancy is to do that. It, it's getting it, – it, I'm not blaming the officiating for the loss because, again, we all know the Maple Leafs had – the Maple Leafs, you know, the first two periods, they were down in the shot attempts mark. Montreal controlled it in 60% in the first, 68 in the second. But just call – the damn penalty or call something in that regard the way it's supposed to be called. That's it. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm to be honest, I'm more shocked. I Even in real time, I, I didn't expect a call. I, I'm more thinking Department of Player Safety taking a second look at it afterwards. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I, as I mentioned, um, I think I said uh, I called it the Department of Professional Satire uh on twitter today um <laughs> as i mentioned earlier the department of Perro stupidity i think the list goes on of, uh, of the names that you can call this department because uh you know uh, i think this department was put together as a joke and and that's just you know it's a bunch of guys sitting around in a room around a poker table just shooting the shit rather than actually making calls but um i i just the fact that there was no mention of it at all is more shocking to me 
following the game than the, the than the the fact that there was no call at the time of the hit. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think in real time it may have not looked as bad. Obviously, in replay we can kind of take a look at it and see that it is a little bit more hefty of a of a of a headshot. But I mean, it is what it is. I guess you know we're just the Leaf fans that complain about nonsense. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't really have much more to say. I think in terms of game seven, um, as I've mentioned, I'm going in with a glass half empty kind of attitude. I know it's a shitty attitude to have, but that said, I mean, I, I've, I've lived long enough with these Leafs that I, I kind of <laughs> know what to expect, but Peter, how are you feeling about game seven? I mean, like you mentioned, with their past history right now, it, it, it is hard to be optimistic. But at the same time, you have to be. Um, I know just uh, Jake Muzzin's status is still up in the air. We don't know what's going to happen with that. They're going to have to dig deep now that you're down. What if your top minute uh, defense, uh, minute eating defenseman, you're down your captain. You have a chance to turn the ties right now facing this much adversity. They have a chance to charge and push through. They cannot give up. They And I'm just going to point to what happened in Game 6. You saw the way that Jason Spezza pushed back. You saw the way that TJ Brody pushed back and the way that they played. That is leading by example and keeping the pedal to the metal. If they do that, they can get the W. We, and if they have the start like they did in Game 6, just it's over. It really is. But they're desperate right now. They're in a position where Montreal was two games ago, and they have to show it that they deserve this win. Um, again, the star players have got to be the star players. Everyone's got to up their intensity and up their impact that much more, knowing that Travars is still out, Muzzin is out. And you know what? There's the whole hashtag, win for JT. If you lose in this first round, you got nothing. You you wanted to win this for you wanted to win this for Tavares. We saw him go on FaceTime after one of the games. Uh, I believe it was Game Three, and they're ecstatic that he was on FaceTime, that he's doing okay. All right, we got him. Like we got him a W. Let's keep it going. If you lose this series, this series is all for nothing because they were playing to win for Tavares. Anything shorter than that to play for your captain is unacceptable. Wouldn't you want to move on to have him play extra games and make a return if they play the Winnipeg Jets? I mean, that should be the end goal. Play for your captain. Play for Muzzin. You want to go far. Everybody's just got to be better. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. And I think, um, you know, you mentioned we we did see JT get on the ice as well. Mm-hmm. Um, just for, for a little skate prior to uh, leave practice the one day as well. So, I mean, not to say he's, he's you know, there's an imminent return to the lineup. But uh, the fact that he's out there skating is, is obviously positive news. And, uh, you know, I, I think anything short of a uh, game seven win here is going to be a disappointment. And, you know, at the end of the day, this is a team that won the North division. This is the team that, you know, if you get past Montreal, it's frightening to look at Winnipeg and say that, you know, Hey, we got this because 
you could barely get past Montreal. Yeah. Um, so to be honest, that's where I think a little bit of my pessimism comes from um, because I just, you know, the success, this was supposed to be a year where you had a little bit of a run um, looking at what lay, lay ahead and, and you didn't have to see Boston until potentially the Stanley Cup final. Now you're looking at a game seven against the Montreal Canadiens who, you know, were a bubble team to make the playoffs and, you know, there's more questions in your lineup than answers. And I think that's the frightening part. And, you know, game seven is going to be a ride. It's going to be a ride. And like I said, I, I think there's a part of me that's glad that I'm, I'm back at work and, and uh, <laughs> might have to check in on this one a little bit later. But um, I'm just going to quote the Dark Knight for a quick second. Um, obviously, you know, the Dark Knight movie, Harvey Dent, you know, they're in that little ballroom with Bruce Wayne and everything like that. And they're talking about like they're talking about Batman. Do you live to be the hero? I, I, I don't I don't I can't remember it uh, word for word off my heart, but it's do you live to be the hero or do you die or do you die here? Sorry, it's late at night, folks. Sorry. Um, do you die here or do you live long enough to see yourself become the villain? The Maple Leafs have a chance to get rid of that past, be a hero, and be the thing that, you know, or be the team that we all expected you to be. Probably not the best phrase or best kind of motivation, but, you know, they've, they've been the, they, they themselves have been the villains for so long. It's time to end it and be a hero is where yeah. I'm getting at with that. No, absolutely. I and and you know, I think you're pretty spot on there. Um with that said, you know, game 7 Monday night, definitely tune in. Uh we will definitely be talking about it uh on episode 43 next week. Before we head out here, I do want to send it over to Ka- uh Gavin Bryant, Owen Sound Attack second round pick in 2020. This kid, I mean, Peter, this kid was unbelievable uh, for for his first interview. He was unbelievable this time around. Mm-hmm. He's down in Erie. We did we did have a few technical difficulties in terms of, you know, just uh, our our Zoom call with him because he is down in Erie and and uh, at the hotel, uh, getting ready for the two week uh, uh, showcase event for for some of the OHL and CHL players. Um, but uh, obviously, a great opportunity for him. And uh, with that said. Let's send it over to Gavin Bryant. Our next guest was the second overall, or sorry, second round pick, 37th overall by the Owen Sound Attack in the 2020 OHL Priority Draft. It's his second time on Sticks in the Six. Welcome back, Gavin Bryant. How are you doing, bud? Good, guys. Thanks for having me back. Appreciate it. Looks like a uh, wonderful day out in Erie and... uh, we got you back on here because we want to talk about this Erie prospect tournament. So we're going to jump right into that, but what's the vibe down there? You just, uh, obviously you just flew in uh, on Saturday. What's the vibe? Have you gotten to get in touch with some of the other prospects and, and what's going on down in Erie? Um, yeah, it's just, we're kind of settling in right now. Um, we had to book a hotel for uh, the first two nights because the check-in is until Monday, but it was uh, really fortunate for myself. I get to, uh, fly in with the Owen Sound's uh, third round pick, Madden Steen. So 
we uh, we've already gotten pretty close as it is throughout the year, just with being online with school and everything. But it just made it a bit easier coming in with him, and uh, it wasn't there's no awkwardness or anything. We're pretty close already, and it was just a pretty quiet night. And we're just uh, trying to settle in here and uh, get things ready for uh, the check-in on Monday. Kevin, how does it feel to be a part of a select few that were just drafted from the 2020 OHL draft? Because I believe you're an 04 birthday. How does it feel to be in that group with so many or just about a year or two off from your draft year and being a part with 11 other Owen Sound Attack players? Uh, it's a heck of an opportunity for sure. I mean, um, there's, like you said, a lot of elite players coming to this uh, this showcase. And um, to me, being one of those guys just uh, – doesn't really elevate the pressure to me because I'm just an 04 going in here and trying to make a name for myself. So I think rather than a 03 going into his, uh, with this being his draft year, it might be, uh, might be a little more nerve wracking for him. But for me, it's just a matter of playing hockey again. I haven't played in a while. So it's just a matter of uh, getting back into the uh, smooth things and just uh, showing, uh, showing some people what I can do and just trying to play my game. Yeah, you mentioned, uh, obviously, a, a tough uh, season with not being able to get on the ice. Um, what was it like for you this off or this season, I guess, to kind of, you know, try and get some hockey in there, try and, uh, you know, maintain your development, but without uh, actually playing the game? Um, I think a lot of it was uh, trying to stay uh, strong on the mental side of it, but I mean, I think that was uh, that all players in the world had to or was really struggling with with uh, the no hockey and everything. But no, it's been all right. I've been I've stayed in the gym for uh, the remainder of the time. I've been on the I haven't been on the ice there for a little bit the last month here just because of the lockdown. But no, I think just really focusing on the mental side of it, just trying to keep myself engaged and uh, just keep focusing on my health and whatnot. Make sure I'm not I'm still eating all right and almost treating it like I'm in a season, but I'm just not not obviously playing just on the mental side of it and just staying in touch with all those guys. Like I said, like staying in touch with the rookies uh, like myself as well was really huge. And just yeah, stuff like that is just uh, was really big for me on the off season for sure. You just touched on the mental aspect and that's something that, you know, everyone seems to be struggling with nowadays. Um, what, aside from talking with, uh, you know, your teammates, your classmates and everything like that, what are some other things that helped cope, uh, that helped uh, get you through this uh, tough time? Um, yeah, yeah, you know what, I think just the little things as well, like just staying focused on hockey in a way that still following the sport, right? Just watching hockey whenever I can, picking up on little things and, no, like obviously keeping in touch and everything, but watching watching hockey is a big, big aspect as well. Taking things from NHL hockey players or whenever whatever hockey you can watch that that's, that's at a high level. Just taking little things like that, I think, was big. And with the NHL coming back like they did, I really focused on that because there wasn't there wasn't much hockey elsewhere going on. Obviously, the WHL and the QMHL was going on and the little tournaments they had in there, but like just stuff like that, just not not leaving leaving the game in a way where losing losing the love of the game just because I'm I'm not playing myself. This this season did was there any any inclination for you to go and try and get an opportunity somewhere else uh, just based on you know you saw a lot of the OHL players kind of head out to different uh, different opportunities 
obviously that, uh, you know, it's a little different with you coming in as a rookie, but is that something that was a consideration or not even, a, not even in the question? Oh, hundred percent. It was, I mean, um, just amongst myself, my parents and, uh, my agent, I think the questions definitely swept up in the air because we just hit the mindset where I just wanted to play hockey. I didn't care where it was. I didn't care where it was going to be. It's just, I wanted to play kind of flew around, but it was just, it was a matter of taking the cost of everything else and maybe saying, okay, I could get the same thing at home from, but I'm still training and getting on the ice. So, and I definitely made it easier at home as well when Owen Sound was, um, well, not Owen Sound, the assistant coach Owen Sound was um, making some skates there in Tavistock. And it was some of the skates he was having was, I don't know what an OHL pace was, but I was assuming it was pretty well close to it because the pace was high and I was at least getting a sweat out of it for sure. And it was just, it seems like I was improving that way. So the thought definitely spread in there, whether it was going to Europe or something. But I think, like you said, being a rookie, the opportunities were more open to maybe 03s or 02s. And I think, um, I think just as an 04, it wasn't too much of a rush for me. It was just, I just wanted to develop. And I think uh, I did develop from just skating at home and working out at home. When we last talked, you were hopeful that an OHL season could get done and you and many, and so that you and you could get out there with the other players and hopefully play a season. When the decision came uh, from the league and not getting the approval from the government, what was your initial reaction? And did you think that, you know, a partial season like it was in the WHL for like maybe 20 or so games, was that possible in your eyes? Um, I thought it was for sure. I mean, you always have that glimmer of hope, right? When uh, something you love is uh, shut down, you always have that glimmer of hope that it's going to come back. But I mean, um, yeah, obviously, like you said, I thought the partial seasons were going to come. I knew we weren't going to get a full season, obviously, but I thought there could be something there. But when, you know, you kind of knew towards the end it was coming, the shutdown, and you were preparing yourself for it. But when it happens, it just, it completely puts you down. But that's another another thing where you got to be mentally strong with it and move on from it and just treat it like, okay, we're going into the off season now. And it's like, you just finished up a season and you're getting ready to go for the next year. So, I mean, obviously the initial reaction for myself, my family, and obviously my other teammates was pretty tough, but um, no, you just had to get by it mentally. I just felt really bad as well for the uh, overagers in uh, Owen Sound and around the league, obviously, but I really clicked with those uh, overage Owen Sound guys. They were really good guys. And, Oh, just it was definitely tough for them for sure. You mentioned the Overagers, and we were fortunate enough to get Andrew Parrott on the show at one point. Uh, he was over in Slovakia playing, and and he was a big advocate for getting the OHL season underway. Obviously, part of creating this showcase in Erie. Um, what's what's your relationship with him? Have you had an opportunity to kind of talk with him? And uh, you know, obviously, getting the invite to uh, to come to the showcase. Um, you know what's it going to be like stepping on the ice with a guy who obviously was very vocal about trying to get that OHL season going? Um, it's huge. I mean, Andrew's, Andrew's obviously, I got to maybe one or two skates with him and I knew he was a big part of the Owenstown attack. Um, his leadership on and off the ice and it just shows off the ice, like you said, getting the showcase together and him just, um, thinking of the rookies as well, like me, uh, myself, Cedric Gondon and Matt and Steen, him, uh, 
bring up us three to go. It was obviously yes from me right off the bat, but it just it goes to show what uh, type of leader and how many leaders you have in uh, Owen Sound on that team. And uh, I guess just the way that he's kind of brought brought me in and brought the other rookies in, um, it definitely made it an easy transition. He's just one of those guys that'll run through a wall for his team. And I think um, he was definitely one of the more passionate ones, like he said, to get something going, a season going. And him just uh, putting out there to all of us that if we'd be interested in something like this, obviously all of us would say yes, but the, it seems like the work he put into this is definitely going to pay off because there's a lot of, a lot of good players here and obviously he'll be competitive with it too. He's on our team. So, and he's a really good player on the ice as well. So it's just, it's cool. It's cool what he's done with the showcase, obviously with the help from uh, the three other guys, but no, it's, it's, it's definitely cool. The type of guy he is and just what, what type of leader he is. What was that interaction or call like with Andrew when he invited you over to this tournament? It was cool. It was cool. I didn't, um, I think I speak for um, a lot of other guys on the team. I didn't know if it was really going to happen, right? Because he just, he sent out all the information and it was all there. It was just like, wow, like this guy, this guy really cares about uh, playing and this guy really cares about uh, his teammates playing and getting ready for obviously upcoming OHL season. I think just uh, getting that text, he sent it out to the group chat and getting that text that was really cool. And it just, um, again, like I said, summed up what type of guy he is. And it was just, uh, it was really good that he was putting something like this together. It looks, uh, so it's a two week event uh, or it looks like it's going to be a lot of, uh, a lot of hockey, a lot of fun over the next two weeks for you, Gavin. Um, what uh, what are you looking to showcase from your game uh, for for any scouts that might be there or anybody that's uh, you know definitely got an eye on you as an individual player? Um, you know what? I don't want to change much. Uh, um, it's gonna be my first uh, first couple of games here in a really long time, so it might take a bit getting in there. But obviously, um, I don't want to change much. I think. Um, well, from noticing my game and uh, my parents noticing my game as well from uh, years past, I played a bit of a safe game and I just, I don't, I, you got to find that balance, right. Of playing that safe game in your own end and also making some damage happen in the offensive end. So obviously um, I believe that uh, I got here with my two way game and uh, how I play in my defensive zone, but it's um, that's obviously not going to leave me, but I, I just want to, I think I want to maybe help out a bit more on the offensive side of things and um, obviously keep that safe game there, but no, not, not changing my game or anything uh, like that. I'll, I'll go in with uh, the tools I have and hopefully, um, hopefully I can catch the eye of someone, but I'm, I just want, I just want to play hockey, right? It's just it's a good opportunity to get some hockey in and no, not, not changing my game is a big thing for me as well, but for sure. You just mentioned hopefully catching the eye of some scouts. Do you feel like you sort of got an inside edge with, uh, you know, the, uh, next year's draft coming up or? Um, you know what? I'll say, um, I'll say the 04 age group is a very, very talented age group. And um, honestly, uh, if you get into these little showcases, you can catch one scout's eye and they, uh, that'd be huge for you. But honestly, no, I just, um, I'm going in here to play my game. And if that's something that the scouts don't like, then that's just going to be my fault for sure. But no, I think um, I think there's a lot of good hockey players here for sure, and I really think the 04 age group is a very talented age group, and that's just that what makes it fun to me. It's a very competitive age group, and that's that's what I like out of myself, just being competitive with other players. And 
obviously just um, showing what you have, showing your tools. But no, I really think the 04 age group is very talented. And I think um, it'll make for a very, very competitive year next year and a very competitive showcase this weekend or this week. Sorry. And with this tournament, do you feel like this is a big step towards getting some sort of normalcy like pre-pandemic? Yeah, for sure. hundred percent. Um, yeah. Like I think, um, hopefully leagues like, uh, the OHLWHL and QMJHL, I think the USHL was going pretty good last year, but I think these leagues will kind of recognize this, um, this sort of event and, um, hopefully take action by it. And then, um, I don't know, create something, uh, something safe for uh, next season to, uh, ensure that all the players are safe and all the coaches are safe and whatnot, but it's kind of, it's almost like a guess and check maybe for the OHL, just seeing, um, seeing what, uh, these two weeks does and, uh, what the health are, what the health are for the, uh, players and just, uh, kind of going from there for sure. I'll definitely, I definitely hope they'll be watching though, for sure. Just, uh, for guess and check, like I said. Do they have a lot of, um, kind of protocols in place for you for the, for the next two weeks in terms of like how to work around this pandemic or, or is it uh, pretty straightforward in terms of, you know, you guys are there, you're going to the games and, and that's basically it. Um, I don't know much to be honest. I, I know the, um, the States is obviously uh, um, a bit buttered down compared to Ontario, which is completely fine to me, but I think, um, uh, I think splitting up the games, um, there's six teams, right? And the three games are at 12.30, 4.30 and 7 or 12.34 and 7. So I think maybe splitting up those games, not just because it's three 20-minute period stop time, but hopefully maybe uh, get some safety protocols in there, just getting all the guys out in the room and into the room and whatnot. But no, they definitely get a pretty good job of just uh, – they split up two hotels and split the guys up and it's two per room, obviously. But um, – no, I think the, the protocols are there for sure. I think they obeyed the, um, obviously, Erie, uh, Erie's practice rink. They obeyed their rules, and I think they came up with the rules on their own. But I definitely uh, think it makes up for a pretty safe two weeks for sure. Well, Gavin, as always, I want to thank you very much for coming on. Obviously, we don't want to take up too much more of your time, but um, hopefully these two weeks are, are a lot of fun for you. You get to get back on the ice, play some hockey, and uh, showcase just what you've got in your game. Uh, along with uh, all the other guys that are out there with you today. I appreciate that, guys. Thank you very much. I appreciate it a lot. I always love coming on here. You guys are good guys. Thank you. Thank you, Gavin. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Well, Peter, like I said, uh, you know, great kid. Um, Obviously, you mentioned it, an 04 born uh, or birth date, um, you know, getting an opportunity to, to, to get involved in this showcase that was put on by a player that should have been his teammate in in this past OHL season in Andrew Parrott, a guy that we've had on the show as well. Um, but uh, a, a great opportunity for for Gavin to get involved and uh, really showcase his talents in front of potential scouts as well, leading into a uh, very important year for him as well. Yeah, and just hearing how excited he is for this opportunity to not necessarily get a leg up on the competition for the next year's draft, but to you know just get that opportunity and showcase his skill in a year where you know he was looking forward to his rookie season in Owen Sound and again we all know the pandemic took a toll on everybody um especially players in the OHL they were the one league that didn't have anything players were trying to find you know leagues to play in 
And the fact that, you know, he's getting this chance, he's going to get some game time, he's going to get a chance to have some scouts look at him. This is perfect. And he's such a humble guy, very down to earth. I mean, I, I absolutely love talking to him. This kid, this if anybody is, if any scout is listening to this podcast, take it from us. His personality is so infectious and so great. He's very positive. That's what you want in a player. Um just absolutely great to have him on again, and I wish him nothing but the best in this tournament. Yeah, and I, I mean, you mentioned it, humble kid. Um, you know, just just draft him to have him in the in the dress room for for crying out loud. Like this kid, you know, he's he's all about his teammates. He's all about uh, you know making sure the team does well. And um, yeah, just uh, like I like like you said, great to have him on for a second time, and and hopefully we do get him on again in the future. And he's he's still playing. Um, you know, maybe in his third or fourth year in the OHL, maybe he's, maybe he's already been drafted and we're talking about, uh, the potential of, uh, you know, making a push for the, for the show, who knows, but, yeah. um, we wish him all the best and hopefully he has a, a solid two weeks out in Erie and, and enjoys every minute of that showcase. That said, um, Peter, another great episode, but I do want to quickly ask you a question before we head out here. Um, Absolutely. on, on the hockey writer's prospect rankings show the most <laughs> recent one where we broke down my top 128 uh greg boysen made a made a quick comment to you about fabian lizell and, and maybe maybe it's time for you to get a fabian lizell tattoo <laughs> and now you you mentioned something about uh you know it's you know obviously tattoos is something you've thought about in the past Um, and I'm curious, I'm curious as, as a tattoo enthusiast, as somebody who's got a full sleeve, uh, as somebody who's got his, his left calf done up, um, what would be a tattoo that Peter Barracchini would be looking to get? Uh, I, I, that's a good question. I rarely talk about this because um, obviously there are a few quotes from like song lyrics that I would like, you know, start off something small, you know, not go overboard with a massive design or something like that. But, um, you know, there was uh, a certain time a few years ago where um, my grandfather died and then a week later my aunt died from cancer. Uh and fuck cancer man fuck cancer yeah yeah and before i started working with the hockey writers um i actually came back from my cousin's wedding in montreal and then my grandma passed away a month later so my family's been through you know quite a bit in the last four or five years in terms of family members passing away yeah what i would love as like my big piece that i would love to have sort of like on my forearm is you know doves representing like my family members and a massive song lyric um from events sevenfold so far away um it, the song's written about like the passing of their drummer but the chorus is very reminiscent of me missing my family members and you know one of the lines is i have so much to say but you're so far away you know, I, I just wish that they were still here. Um, obviously, life is difficult. It's different. But that is something that I would love to get at some point. I don't know. But it's been in my head quite a bit. 
Oh man, you're tearing at my fucking heartstrings. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> no, no, I, you know what? I love it. I love it. Um, and, and you know, I know we're a hockey podcast, but uh, to to kind of go with our tattoo enthusiast listeners, hopefully there's a few of them out there. Um, I kind of was going down the same road with uh, when I got my first one. Um, I, I'm I'm glad I didn't get my first one at, at the age of 18 because I was all about getting the fighting Irish uh, leprechaun on my shoulder. And <laughs> nice. thank God I didn't go that route. Um, <laughs> I, I uh, like like you, I, I waited uh, and really thought through through. It was a process, right? It's a process mm. in, in, you know, it's something that lasts forever. And it's a big commitment. Um, it's a big commitment. And yeah. uh, I, I know. You know, you said you wanted to start small. I, I, when I went to get my first one, I got my entire left calf done, um, and uh, it was it was following my my grandfather passed away, and he was a prisoner of war uh, following uh, World War Two and the and the Dieppe raid uh, for three years. Um, he was presumed missing in action, and uh, I I have letters that he wrote to his mother from uh, the prisoner oh, of war camp, and. Uh, so I got a I got a uh, silhouette of a soldier on the, the beaches of Dieppe with the cliffs in the background, um, with a quote from one of his letters to his mom, and his uh, prisoner of war number tattooed on my on my left calf, and uh, with a poppy at the very bottom. Um, the only color I have in any of my tattoos, but um, yeah, that one was uh, incredibly important to me and. Um, you know, not to get too deep into it, but my sleeve is is a full Scottish sleeve. Uh, obviously, a huge Scottish background. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got the family crest up on the shoulder. Uh, to rep, I've got a couple of bucks to represent my siblings, and then uh, I've got uh, um, uh, birds flying up my wrist uh, to represent uh, the the first uh, first child that my wife and I lost, and I've got a clock. Mm-hmm. Uh, with both hands on the nine as uh, you know we lost our second child on September 9th so um, oh, man definitely uh, man it's it's all about hitting those hard strings and and it's about making it something that means something to you and yeah I, I love that question from Greg I love that comment <laughs> from Greg and 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 you you got right into it and uh, I had to ask you I had to because I'm I'm such a such an enthusiast and I truly believe that when you get one, it's so hard not to get another and another and another. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, I'll tell you my, my mom's first reaction to my, my first tattoo was, Oh, that's big. Uh, <laughs> and, and then my, my second one, she was like, Oh, that's dark. And I'm just, I I'm, I'm looking forward to the next one. So, um, oh, those stories great, are uh, great, man. Those yeah. are great stories to have. And I, and again, like if I get a tattoo, it's going to be something meaningful and hearing, hearing your stories and what your tattoos resemble, that just hits home for me as well. You know, um, it's creating your own story without having to, to share it with the world. And, and, uh, you know, my, mine, mine have a story uh they look like just pictures on my arm but they're uh they, they have their story and they have the representation that's what it's all about it's what it Absolutely. means to you not everybody else and it's kind of fitting that you brought up that question and also the way that greg presented to it um i've been watching a lot of like you know tattoo nightmares ink master um ink master angels i i love the process of like the tattooing 
mm-hmm. it, it's really like gained my interest and obviously i'm still on the fence with it but it, it's really interesting to see how they managed to design all these different aspects and the the amount of detail that goes into it it's just so amazing oh it's incredible it's incredible yeah yeah it's uh it, it's it truly is and uh like I said, I, I'm a hundred percent a tattoo advocate. So if you if you need any any uh, if you need to throw any ideas out to anybody, you know, you're you're I'm, the first one on my list, man. I'm here, bud. I'm here. <laughs> um, but yeah, with that said, everybody, uh, thank you for tuning in. Obviously, uh, a, a great episode. Uh, we look forward to coming back and talking to you guys. Uh, in episode 43, uh, following Game 7 of the Toronto Maple Leafs and Montreal Canadiens series. Uh, again, thank you for tuning in to episode 42 of the podcast. You can follow Peter on Twitter at P. Uh You can follow myself at Andrew G. Forbes or the podcast at Sticks in the Six Pod, S-T-I-X-I-N-T-H-E-6-I-X-P-O-D. Head on over to YouTube. Uh, we have two videos up there. Uh, we're posting our interviews up there. Be sure to subscribe, like, comment, get involved in the conversation, folks, as we can continue to bring you more content. Head over to Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you listen to your podcasts to download our latest episodes. And be sure to subscribe, rate, and review so we can continue to bring more content as we move forward here. On top of that, we've also joined uh, the the Hockey Writers Podcast Network on Anchor and iHeartRadio, so definitely check us out there. Aside from that, until next time, thank you again for tuning in. That's it for Peter and myself. See you next week. Go Leafs, go! Leafs.